All right, good morning. So we started a new message series last week called Bodybuilders. We've jumped into the book of 1 Corinthians to see the spiritual workout that uh, the Lord had for the church in Corinth, which was very out of shape if you have been following along. And just like a physical workout, God has given the church, the capital C church, this same workout through the church in Corinth. So we get to hear what God gave them and we are applying it to our life as well. So if you missed last week, this opening message um, into the series, um, you could go back and listen to that. I shared one of my goals um, in the midst of this series is that I am running a marathon that will uh, be taking place in October. And um, so many of you were so encouraging. You were very sweet. You were, you're, you're patting me on the back. You're, you're, um, you're cheering me on. Um, well, at least most of you are cheering me on. I, I think I was a little discouraged because I actually was sent an article this week. Um, and this is probably totally shocks you that not everybody believes in me that I could finish this race. But on Wednesday, this Wednesday, uh, someone from White River sends me this article with this title. It, it was like this, 11,000 runners in the Mexico City Marathon were disqualified. <laughs> So that's the title of the article. Someone just nonchalantly sends it to me. I'm not sure what they're trying to say, but the article went on to explain how one third of the participants in this marathon this summer cheated by taking public transportation, cutting the corners of the race. I don't know what they're trying to say by sending me something like that. Like I would cheat cutting a corner or two. Now, I have a confession. I don't think I'm tempted to take an Indigo bus uh, when I'm down on Indy. I'm not tempted to do that. But I am confessing to you that I do cheat in one very key area when it comes to uh, training. And I think I'm not alone when it comes to cutting some corners in this critical area. It's, it's really a common vice. And in fact, I brought some visual aids. You know, you like when I bring uh, props. And this is really at least symptomatic of the area with which I do cheat. And it is how we eat. You know, it's hard to eat right, isn't it? Um, and I'll just cut to the chase. Bodybuilders... They eat right. They don't cut corners. The diet matters a whole lot. You see, I love stuff like this. I love candy. I've never been a good uh, eater of my vegetables. It's not something that I've done well throughout the duration of my life. Uh, my wife gets on me because I don't like salad. You know, I'd much rather have pizza and steak and potatoes. And those are fantastic things. I'm getting some head nods, of course, because you can't beat those things. But everyone knows whether you're training for a race, whether you're trying to lose weight, diet and exercise, they go like this, don't they? Your diet and exercise, they go together. So when you are bodybuilding, what you eat matters a great deal. Now, thankfully, the Apostle Paul was not too worried about our physical diet, the things we were 
eating uh, in our, our mouths, although everything we do can honor God. Our bodies matter, but what we're looking at today is an actual meal that we take each and every week. That there is a meal that is so critical to the life of the church that we must eat it correctly. We have to. Maybe you don't think of it this way, but every single Sunday we gather as White River Christian Church, we eat a meal together. Did you know this? We eat a meal Every week when we get together, we pass trays that have crackers and a cup of juice in them. And in that, we are, we are taking a meal. We are eating together. We are participating in the Lord's Supper. That's something that we do regularly. We do it almost every single service here at White River because of this reason. Bodybuilders eat right if the body is going to be built correctly, we have to eat well. It's part of it. If we as individual believers are going to be built up in Jesus in the right way, we have to eat right. But why do we have to eat so well and healthy? Because it's the plan that Jesus gave. We don't get to skip meals. We don't get to uh, make our own diets. We follow the plan that Jesus gave us. And so turn with me today to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We started in chapter 1 last week, and although there are so many good plans in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 2 through 10, we're going to have to come back and study that some other time because the portion of the workout plan that we're going to study together are found here in chapters 11 through 16. So the rest of our series, we're going to be in this last third of the book because um, where we are headed is these instructions that apply to us when we gather together as a church body. So the last third of 1 Corinthians is about what you do when you get together. And that's what we're going to dig into. So let's start in verse 17 of chapter 11. In the following instructions, I cannot praise you when you meet together. It sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. And when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly cannot praise you for this. The church in Corinth, we talked a little bit about this last week, but when they met as a church, you think you get 
awards for showing up and, and good things always happen when the church meets. But Paul is telling us, no, that's actually not the case. They got together and when they were meeting, they actually went backwards in their faith. They caused more harm than good. It would have been better if they didn't meet at all. And that's pretty shocking. And the primary culprit, the primary cause of why they went backwards in their faith was their diet. The way they were eating was causing all of these troubles. In verse 18, we see that they were observing the Lord's Supper when they were gathered together. And the way they were doing it caused division in the church. It actually put barriers between groups of people. And what they were doing was very damaging. That some people were in a hurry. Other people weren't really there to take the Lord's Supper. They weren't really there for the right reasons. They were there for other reasons. And it was causing a problem. That there were some people that were very wealthy and they were eating a fancy meal and there were other people on the other side that were hungry. There were people on one side that were getting drunk and there were other people that were thirsty. You see, it's kind of hard for us to enter into this passage today because the way that they did church was very different than what we do. So they worshiped in a home. They didn't have a big worship center like this when they gathered. They were a smaller body, a smaller church, and they would meet in homes, in Roman homes. That's the culture of uh, the Roman culture. And those Roman households had divisions where they met. Uh, they would have some kind of courtyard homes, uh, quarters where they would sleep, and they would have nicer rooms for the owners of that home. And so the wealthy folks that would have a big enough home to have the church over, they would normally have a meal. And the way that they did this was um, they would follow the Roman customs, and so there were courtyards where servants would be and where servants could eat. And then where the owners would eat and the honored guests would eat in a different room. And there were divisions, physical divisions among the church. That this, this certain socioeconomic group ate over here and this group ate over here. And this group got in later because they were working hard all day. And this group was finishing their meal. And then they were taking the Lord's Supper and not including this group, which is why they were not hungry and they were. And the problem was not that they were eating a meal together. That wasn't the problem, but it was how they were doing it. And Paul accuses them, even in verse 20, hey, you're doing all these things and you're not even really interested in this. You're not doing church right. You're not here for the Lord. You're not interested in this. He's basically saying, you're, you're just a social club, church in Corinth. So let's get into shape. So Paul pivots right here as we get to verse 23 into what is one of the most recognizable sections of Scripture certainly in 1 Corinthians, but I'd say even the New Testament. It's, it's a passage that we read regularly. Most churches, we, we are aware of this if you spend time in Scripture. These few verses are very recognizable. And Paul lets us in on a little secret when we think about the Lord's Supper. And here is the secret. And I think it's one that we even know subconsciously. We know this 
that the best way to control and to eat right is to control the things that you see. You know this. If I need to eat healthier, I I probably don't want to keep this bag up here all service. I'm going to want to eat these, and I'm going to want to save these for the Colts game later. I don't want to eat these now, right? I actually need to take them away from my line of sight. If I want to eat healthier at home, it's probably not helpful if I have Doritos and my Sour Patch Kids and Oreos right here when I open the pantry. What's the secret? You don't have them in the pantry, right? You got to put them away. So I got to put these away because I'm a little too tempted. So there they go. They're gone. Uh, You have to pay attention to what you see. And that's what Paul helps us understand. That how we eat is actually connected to our eyes. And if we're going to eat right in the church, we have to pay attention to where we are looking. So let's keep reading and, and see and listen to where Paul says we need to change where we look. In verse 23, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. It's the first place that we need to look if we're going to eat right. We need to look back. This word that Paul uses is, is remember, remember, remember. We actually need to look backwards if we're going to eat right together as the church. That the Lord's Supper primarily is a tool to help us remember what Jesus has done. We remember this very specific thing That is the most important thing that we need to know. And so we need to remember it. We need to look back on the cross. Why? It's impossible to think about it too much. It's impossible to talk about it too much. It's impossible because we can't fathom everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so we must take time to look backwards. We have to look back and remember what Jesus did because this is what Jesus did when he was on the cross. In Colossians 1.20, Paul explained this to the church in Colossae. He said this, through him, Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It doesn't get bigger than that. It can't get bigger than that. It's impossible. Jesus gave reconciliation to you and to me and to everything else in all of creation through the cross. You can't think about it too much. It's not possible. And that Christ's body and his blood 
represented in those elements when we take them, when we take the Lord's Supper, that cracker and that cup of juice. It represents his body. It represents his blood that he gave for you and I on the cross sacrificially. They are a reminder to us. Now, what's interesting to me is why, and I've always thought this, why would Jesus have to tell his followers who say, I love you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. This thing that is the most central thing to our faith. Why would he have to say, you need to remember that? Isn't that interesting? Like, isn't that the one thing we wouldn't forget? Yet he institutes something, this meal that we're supposed to take so that we do not forget it. It's fascinating to me. It's almost an indictment on you and I that Jesus is like, I know my people, they're going to forget it. So we got to do something so they don't forget it. Even though it's the most important thing in human history, we need to remember it. So I'm going to give them this meal. So every time they take it, they're going to see and remember and physically, tangibly sense and know and remember what I did for them. But we need it, don't we? I need it. I forget. It's crazy. But I forget. I don't really forget that that Jesus died So this Wednesday, I'm not going to be like, man, I forgot that Jesus died for me. No, I don't forget that. But I forget on Wednesday and Thursday sometimes, maybe even Sunday afternoon sometimes, what it really means. I forget to apply that to my life. And so sometimes I convince myself, maybe it's Friday this week, and I'm feeling really important more important than other people in my home or in my life. What am I doing? I'm forgetting the cross. I'm forgetting that I'm a sinner. I'm forgetting that I need Jesus, that there's no room for that pride in my life. I forgot this most important thing that I'm supposed to remember. In other weeks, maybe it's Tuesday, I forget when I maybe messed up and I'm beating myself up completely for how much I messed up something. And I'm in that moment forgetting what Jesus has done for me, what the cross means. It means that he loves me so much that he died for me. That's me forgetting the gospel in how I'm living my life. No, I didn't forget that Jesus died for me, but every single week I catch myself, the things that I'm misbelieving or the way that I'm messing up in my life, the way that I'm beating myself up in my mind, it's because I'm forgetting the most central and simple message there has ever been. And if you want to know just how sinful we are as people, You do not need to turn any further than these three verses that every church reads regularly. This passage, the history within the church would shock you to know how broken it shows the church has been. 
We've made the center of our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus, something that is divisive. And that started right here in Corinth. Paul saying, you are divided over this meal and this is supposed to bring you together. And it's sad. I know many of us in this room, we grew up in different Christian traditions, maybe a different denomination or maybe non-Christian but there are churches within walking distance of where we are sitting right here in Noblesville that read and understand these verses very differently than the way we would read these here. For instance, the Catholic church, they would read when, when Paul is quoting Jesus, this is my body. They say it is literally Jesus body when we take the Lord's supper or they would say mass and they take the Lord's Supper, they believe it is literally the body and the blood of Jesus, that it transforms into that, that it's a miracle every time they take Mass. And I don't um, object to that because God couldn't do that. God could do that miracle. I believe God could transform those elements into Jesus' body and blood. But my issue with that is that Christ is being sacrificed every single week, every single service, every single mass, if that is the case. And in Romans 6, 10, and many other places in the New Testament, it is very clear that, that Jesus died once for all, and that's it. That he's not sacrificed every week for you and I. He did it one time, and it is finished, and it is accomplished now, every Catholic may not hold to that view, but it is the teaching of the Catholic Church. And it was one of the major disagreements that led to the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. It's one of the major ones. There were other disagreements. And there are other churches that teach variations of that, about how important and the role the Lord's Supper plays in the life of the local church, that, that Jesus is, is somehow more present in these moments and, and you're getting more grace when we take the Lord's Supper versus uh, praying to him on your own uh, some other portion of the week. But what we teach here is that this Lord's Supper is a symbol. It points us to something. It helps us look back to the cross. That's what we teach. And we say this in our belief statement here at White River. We say baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances for the church that were instituted by Christ himself during his life. These two practices physically remind believers of Jesus' saving work. Therefore, they confirm and nourish the believer we practice water baptism by immersion following a person's confession of faith and that acts as a step of obedience to Jesus indicating saving faith. And we take the Lord's Supper weekly to remind ourselves of the purpose and unity we have by gathering in worship of Christ. So I want to slow down just for a second using theological words we don't usually talk about here, but we call the Lord's Supper an ordinance. And that is just a fancy word for something that Jesus instituted, something that Jesus told the church to do. And we believe there's two of those things, that Jesus did them himself and told the church, his disciples and us, you need to do these things. One was baptism and the other was the Lord's Supper. He's saying, you need to do this. You need to do this in remembrance of me. 
So those are the two things Jesus instituted. And he told Paul this in verse 23. It was the risen Lord himself. He's passing on to you what he received from the Lord himself. Paul's saying Jesus appeared to him and told him, you need to tell the church in Corinth and all the church that Jesus is saying, you need to take this. You need to do this. It's important. He's passing it along. And so the issue is not that Christians down the street or others observe the Lord's Supper. No, we should be doing this. This is good. This is what the Lord told us to do. We need to be observing it. It's that we have such strong opinions when Jesus says, this is my body, that we are dividing the body of Christ. And the Lord knows this. Again, verse 18, he's saying, there are divisions among you. And this is such an indictment. I know I already said that, but isn't it crazy to think this meal that was supposed to bring the church together has been what is potentially the most divisive thing in the history of the church? It's crazy to me that that is true. You may not even know this, but there are actual wars fought over viewpoints of the Lord's Supper. You could look that up. The, the Reformation Wars or the, the European Wars in like 1500 to 1700 in Europe, there were multiple wars fought over who gets to control what we're teaching about this. Isn't that fascinating? That is crazy. So if you think that things are divisive about gay marriage, transgenderism, any kind of politics, whatever it is, abortion, insert hot button topic here, this has been more divisive than any of those things. That's nuts. This is supposed to be about Jesus bringing the body of Christ together. And when we focus on what we're so different about people down the street, we are missing the point. Yes, there's all this history and theology, but we can never forget. We must never forget that we look back on the cross. Because when we look at the cross and we come to the foot of the cross, there's no room for pride. You're at the foot of the cross there's no room for pride there. And I'm not saying that, that there's no room for our convictions there. There is room for our convictions there, but there's also room for a very healthy dose of humility at the foot of the cross. Looking back at Jesus is what he told us to do regularly. And we don't just look back, we look forward. Verse 26 Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When we take the Lord's Supper, this is a very important part of it. You are announcing things. Maybe you're not saying it verbally, but, but anytime you take these elements, even if you're in the row or even if you're in your home or in a small group or wherever you may be taking the Lord's Supper, you are announcing to the world around you, to the people around you and to yourself, this is what I believe. This is what I believe at the core of me. I believe this. I believe that Jesus' body and his blood, his sacrifice is what saves me. I'm announcing that as I'm looking back, but I'm also announcing something else. 
that the Lord is coming again. Did you catch that? So we not only look back, but we look forward. We, when we take the Lord's Supper, we are announcing our hope in Jesus. Not just that he saved us in the past, but he's going to save us in the future. That he is coming back again, really, literally, here for you and I. When we take this Lord's Supper, that's what we are proclaiming. Man, Jesus was there for us in the past, and he's going to be there for us in the future. Everything is about Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our hope. Everything as we look back and we look forward. And that's not the only places we look and the places we find Jesus. We need to also look within ourselves. Read the next few verses, verse 27. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So Paul is very clear here. We look back, we look forward, and we also need to examine ourselves, or as I'm saying, look within yourself. Not for hope or or salvation, that's not found here. But he's saying you need to examine yourself, examine your life, examine your heart. We examine how we are living and does it match up with the things that we are announcing, that we are proclaiming when we're holding these elements in our hands. Does my life match what I'm saying I believe in this moment? We need to think, am I trusting in Jesus with my life? Am I really doing that? Am I I trying to earn my relationship with Jesus? Monday through Saturday, thinking that he he needs me to work for him. And that's how I'm making my relationship better because because I'm doing stuff for him. And I need to examine my heart and know that that's not what the gospel says. I, I don't earn my relationship with Jesus. He already did it. Is there something in my life, a sin that I need to turn from, that I need to repent from, that I need to run from? I need to examine myself. So when Paul refers to people who have been eating in an unworthy manner, this can be a little confusing. I've talked to people in our church who who refer to this passage and they're like, you know, I don't take the Lord's Supper because I'm not worthy. That's an interesting thought because they're, they're right and they're wrong. See, no one is worthy to take the Lord's Supper. No one is worthy of Jesus. But that's what's so interesting is when you think that way, if you think that way, you're actually probably the one who is most capable of taking the Lord's Supper. If you think you're not worthy, that means you probably are. (laughs) It's interesting how that works. But there is a way we can take the Lord's Supper flippantly without examining our heart, that Paul is saying, we don't do that. We need to examine our life, our heart for sin. See, if I'm the person who's coming to the Lord's Supper and I'm thinking, man, I I really, I deserve this. Definitely more than they do. Maybe I'm taking it in an unworthy way. So there are ways to do this. And he he continues to talk about this as he finishes the chapter. Verse 29, if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. 
That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. That's wild. Paul is saying that people have brought God's judgment on themselves because of how they are misusing the Lord's Supper. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet we are judged by the Lord. We are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourself. When you meet together, I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. So maybe you're sitting there thinking, uh, I don't want to get sick today. I don't want to die today. So maybe I'll just stay away from the Lord's table if that's really what could happen. And maybe it would shock you to, to think that there's actually four examples in the book of Acts where God's judgment was pronounced immediately on those individuals and they were struck down. So this is a real thing that God has done. Certainly not something that I've ever witnessed or been a part of, but this is serious. And we must examine ourselves, examine our actions, examine our life. Sin is a big deal to the Lord. We must look within. Maybe you're wondering, well, who is this meal for then? How could we take this? Well, this meal is for everyone. It's for believers. It's for those of you who say, I announce this thing to be true about Jesus. And that's what I believe. And so that's why here at our church, the table is open for anyone. It's not just if you're a member of White River. It's not just if you think like us. It's if you trust in Jesus, you are welcome to participate. We would never exclude you. Also, you should know that we welcome everyone in our services. You don't even have to be a Christian to be sitting out here and learning what God's word says. You, you do not have to. You could think many different things and be out there participating with us today. But the Lord's Supper is for those of us who say, I trust in Jesus' death and resurrection with my life, that I am a sinner and that I need him. And I want to follow him with the rest of my life. And I'm going to turn from these sins in my life. That we look back at the cross. We look forward to Jesus coming back. And I look inward in my heart and know, man, I need Jesus every day. So eating right cannot be assumed. You already knew that. Eating right is hard. We've all got our own battles and stories with diets and exercise and, and eating this and struggling with that. And every mom around here knows that getting your kids to eat right does not just happen. <laughs> it is a struggle. It is hard. But the same is true for us as a church. If we want to be bodybuilders of the body of Christ, we must eat right. And we can. Thankfully, these instructions about the Lord's Supper guide us they shape us because our eating is connected to our eyes and our eyes get so distracted with the things of this world that are right in front of us every day. See, Jesus isn't disappointed. 
that he needed to come and to remind us. He knew that. He planned for it. He has this meal for us for a reason. He's not upset with us because we forget during the week that we need him. He is here every week to remind us that Jesus is the reason that we have life. And that it's not in these elements themselves that Jesus wants us to trust. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. It is Jesus we look to because he is the one that sustains us, not elements at a table. These remind us that Jesus is the one who died for us and the one who's coming again and fixes the stuff in my heart and life. You see, I believe with all of my heart that you are here right now because you came, because there's something going on in your life that you know I need to experience God. There's all kinds of things that have happened in your life this week. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Or maybe you had a fantastic week because you only uh, went to work four days this week and it was amazing. And you're like, football season is starting. This is a great week for me. But even so, no matter what's going on, people come here to worship because you are looking for Jesus and you need him. And that's what we're here to do. That's our commitment to you is that we're going to open the scriptures and point to Jesus. We're going to sing songs about Jesus, about looking back at the cross and looking forward to his coming. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper that reminds us of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, we come before you today and know that You've given us this meal so that we could be built right, that our church could be oriented around you in the ways that matter most. God, encourage us if we think we're not worthy. Lord, humble us if we, we think we are more special than the person on our right and left. God, your spirit can do both of those things in this same moment. And we thank you for that, Lord. We come to you today and trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.